In session six of the technology and social media series, we looked at the topic of sex. I first encountered this phrase, easy everywhere, in relation to digital technology in Andy Crouch's book, uh, TechWise Family. I've recommended it a few times. It's at the top of my list. If you're going to just read one book, I would suggest that book, especially if you have teenagers in your home, TechWise Family. But in this book, Crouch, he notes that we are in the midst of the greatest revolution in easy everywhere the world has ever known. And what he's talking about there is the fact that one of the primary consequences of modern technology and devices is that it makes everything easy and everywhere. So automated devices replace the skillful use of tools. And this has not only influenced um, our general understanding of, of productivity, but it's also influenced how we relate to one another, especially when it comes to sex. So in this session, we talk about one of the most dangerous cultural trends that we see in the digital age, and it's this idea of easy everywhere sex. So sex is promoted as easy in the sense that it's more detached from personal deep relationships in today's age than it has ever before. There are websites, mobile applications that make dating and hooking up easy, simplifying the dating process to just sorting through pictures and a short description of people. And the purpose of these sexual networks are easily identified in the taglines that they use. There are taglines like fun dating with no waiting or the hookup app for awesome people. And they'll say like, don't talk about your problems. Problems are for therapists. This app is for fun. <laughs> so these, these applications are hoping to make everything fun, immediate, and detached from the difficulty of actually building a relationship which culminates in marriage that leads to sexual intimacy. So digital technology and social media is being used to make sex easy by stripping it away from deep, committed relationships. It's also making sex available everywhere. You have website pop-ups, commercials during a football game on television, explicit friend requests on Instagram, public stories on Snapchat, and millions of hours of pornography. The internet and mobile devices do not stop. They do not stop with the temptations. Keith Lambert, in an awesome book called Finally Free, writes this, many people struggle with pornography because it is so easy for them to get it. So if we as Christians are not cautious and disciplined with how we navigate websites and social media platforms, we can easily, very, very easily be sucked into the vortex of easy everywhere sex, which is a horrible distortion of God's meaningful and beautiful design of sex and rem romantic relationships. Now, in this session, I spent a lot of time focusing on the issue of pornography. We could have leapt into a lot of areas, the whole hookup culture, the sexting phenomena with sending nude photos back and forth, and we touch on those things a little bit, but we really focused on the issue of pornography. So I first started just by talking about the prevalence of pornography. Uh, 
Pornography is one of the most destructive, addicting, enslaving sins that we see for people today. If you talk to most Christian counselors, what they'll say is this is the number one topic that they counsel people through. So this is something that we have to speak about. We have to teach about from a good, deep, profound, biblical perspective um, as Christians. We have to address these issues, and we have to address them early with students. Because pornography, the statistics show, it's catching students earlier and earlier. I don't have the exact statistic, but I think the average age that a person comes across pornography is 12 years old. The first time they come across it, that's the average age, 12 years old. So we have to address these things. We have to get out in front of these things. So just a few years ago, in 2015, uh, 4.3 billion hours of pornography was watched on a single website, which is over 500,000 years worth of pornography. Every second, there's almost 30,000 internet users that are watching pornography. And the statistics show that in general, men struggle with this issue more than women, and non-practicing Christians struggle with it more than practicing Christians. Um, I've listed all of the statistics um, in the packet of teaching that's available on the church website. But the, the big thing that I hit with our students was you may not fall into the statistical category that you're struggling with pornography or you admit to frequent porn use. But the more alarming statistic is this, that they show we are more likely to come across pornography pornography accidentally rather than not come across pornography at all. So about 50% of teens ages 12 to 17 will come across pornography accidentally at least once or twice a month. Around 71% of young adults ages 12, 18 to 24 will come across pornography accidentally at least once or twice a month. So we will come across this issue. Our students will most likely come across pornography accidentally. So they need to be prepared for when they do come across that temptation. They need to know exactly um, what's going on here. Why is this bad? Do not fall into the lies that pornography would try to sell our students. Uh, and also, another thing I hit with our students and the prevalence of this issue is that this has influenced teenagers' personal interactions with the opposite sex. Specifically, we see now that mobile devices are being used to frequently solicit and send nude images. According to Barna, which is a great research center, 62% of teens have received a sexually explicit image, and 41% have sent one. So pornography is not merely this out their industry that is trying to seduce our teens and our students. This is affecting the way students are interacting in their own social circles. This is influencing how they're interacting with the opposite sex in their own schools, in their classrooms, in their churches. So this is a huge deal that is, um, that is perverting their real-life relationships that students have. This is not simply something that we can shrug off. It is influencing our relationships. And this is, bleeds into the next section. 
which the two biggest lies of, of pornography are this. One, that it's not hurtful to the user. And two, it will never be hurtful to anyone else. And the research on pornography shows that that, that is just not the case. Porn is extremely harmful to the user, and it will end up hurting the, that user's relationships and the world in which we live. So I looked at some specific things about porn use and how, how it creates problematic things in our brain, our heart, and our relationships, and in our world. Number one, porn use rewires the human brain. It creates an addiction. Um, we've gone over this several times about uh, phone use, how it releases dopamine and reward pathways in the brain. Well, porn does the same thing. As the user looks at pornography, dopamine gets released in the brain, and it creates this reward pathway, which is responsible for moting, motivating us to do things. And this is especially dangerous for teenagers because a teen's brain's reward pathway has a response two to four times more powerful than an adult brain. So the possibility of addiction is much, much higher for a teenager's brain. But porn use is rewiring the human brain. It's creating an addiction. And we must be cognizant of that. Number two, porn use trains our hearts to objectify others and prioritize pleasure. Porn, in the most basic sense, is promoting sex as strictly an individualistic act of self-gratification where users objectify others for the sake of their own pleasure. And whether the user realizes it or not, it's molding them to treat others like their only importance centers on them and their pleasure. Research shows that people are detaching sex from the purpose that God originally intended. You know, Scripture describes two purposes for sex, and that's procreation and deeper intimacy. That's, that's what God has designed sex, sex to do. And and how he's designed sex to operate within the covenant of marriage that it would create that would that would um, be purposed in pro- procreation and deeper intimacy. Now, among all American adult, adults, most answered that they believe sex to be purposed in deeper intimacy, and the second most answered uh, procreation. But forty-five percent of American adults answer that the purpose of sex is to connect with another person in an enjoyable way. So almost half the American adult population believes that sex is just about a temporary uh, enjoyment of connecting with another person. It's less about God's design of sex, which is procreation and deeper intimacy between two married individuals, and it's more about pleasure. So in an article by Fight the New Drug, which is a great nonprofit that educates about the danger of pornography and provides some resources to fight it. Um, the writer says this, In most porn, a person is only worth the sum of their body parts. It doesn't matter whether they're funny or smart, kind or interesting. All they are is a tool for sex. It shouldn't be a big surprise that when teens watch or see sexual media, both boys and girls have stronger notions of women being sex objects. So these studies have shown that porn users express less love for their partners um, and become more critical of appearances. Other studies found that 
users are more disrespectful and aggressive within intimacy and they're, they're less willing to stick around in a relationship. And all of these things are showing us, they're pointing us back to the fact that pornography is encouraging users to objectify people, to dwindle their humanity down to their appearance and just use them for self-gratification for the sake of their own pleasure. The act of pornography is training our hearts in that practice. And that's very, very dangerous. Number three, porn use leads to earlier sexual activity outside of any marital or romantic relationship. As a culture, the perspective on premarital sex has changed. You know, more than 55 years ago, the majority of adults believed premarital sex was wrong. Now, less than one-third of people say it's wrong. So God's plan for sex is that it only be exercised within a a covenant of marriage. So sex in any form outside of a marriage is against God's plan, design, and commands, which, which even includes our lustful hearts. So looking on someone as a piece of meat, as a source of pleasure, as an object, devalues God's creation as well as commits adultery in our hearts. So this addiction that begins privately in the heart in the mind, in the eyes, usually comes to express itself more publicly. Researchers have repeatedly found that people who have seen a significant amount of porn are more likely to have sex sooner and with more partners. So this whole idea that porn won't lead to any expressive behaviors or it won't lead um, to any behaviors is just a plain lie. The more and more that we view porn the more exposure we have to those things, we, be, we begin to rationalize the behavior, normalize the behavior. And, and what we see starts becoming a stronger desire in us to actually do it ourselves. The last thing about the problem of porn is that porn, porn use supports a dark and broken world. Uh, the use of pornography does not only distort individuals' minds and relationships, but it also forms a society that values the objectification of people. We see this today, that sex sells. Marketing sex works. And so we've created a society where objectifying people uh, is valuable. More specific, researchers, researchers have found that pornography has direct ties to fueling the sex industry. The founder of that nonprofit, Fight the New Drug, says this porn fuels the demand for sex trade. Traffickers have learned to package their product in a way that disguises the fact that the performers are actually forced to participate. So, as the user of pornography is fantasizing through the screen, behind the scenes, there's this horrible, dark, and twisted brokenness. That's happening. Yet, the user is supporting that brokenness by continuing to view the pornography over and over again. So pornography is not harmless. It's not a harmless private issue. Pornography damages the user, the user's relationships with others, and it ultimately echoes into our damaging world. In light of all of this, uh, we turn to Matthew five twenty-seven through 30 where Jesus says that sexual sin is serious and radical measures are often necessary to be freed from it. 
This is what he says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. As one writer noted, we see three things here. We see that our sexual, with our sexual sin, there's a serious standard, which requires a serious strategy because there's serious stakes. There's a serious standard here. Jesus is raising the bar on our fight against lust and sexual sin. He doesn't merely condemn the behavior. He drives it to our hearts. So the first step in fighting sexual sin must be the realization of this serious standard. Serious standard that our sinful heart has corrupt desires. One of the biggest things that we can emphasize with people struggling with pornography is that this isn't simply a behavioral issue, but there is a deep-rooted heart issue going on here, uh, that lust is stemming from a heart condition that needs to be rooted out. Next, we see a serious strategy. Jesus gives us some tactics to deal with this sin that are very, very serious. They're radical. He calls us to cut off our access to those sinful actions and throw out the path to the sin. And he uses this by illustrating in a very descriptive way of, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. If your right hand causes you to stumble, then cut it off, throw it away. These are serious measures to ensure that we, we take our sin lightly. So if we're struggling with pornography, Jesus wants us to understand that we will need to get tough with our sin. And lastly, we see that these have serious stakes, that our sinful desires and actions have serious life and death consequences. A serious strategy was necessary because if we treat our sin lightly, then we're on a pathway to hell. Jesus did not sugarcoat that. It's not a trite matter. Our desire to sin and our sinful habits are indications of a course into further brokenness, bondage, and ultimately destruction. So in light of all of this, it's our desire that Christians would be free from bondage to sin and faithful in their Christian walk. So we need to identify some practical application in order to create a culture that represents God's lordship in light of this current trend of sex being easy everywhere. First, the writer of Finally Free, Heath Lambert, says this. It's a helpful note regarding practical application of battling sexual sin. He says, if you're stressing about implementing practical things to fight pornography and sexual sin, it's because you are considering the seriousness of the strategy without considering the seriousness of the stakes. These measures aren't meant to be convenient. They're meant to be radical, different, painful, and costly. No one removes a limb because it's fun or handy. They do it because they realize they cannot keep the limb and live. It's a life and death decision. So we're going to have to be serious about the fight, the battle against sexual sin. We cannot consider how serious the strategy is without considering the seriousness of the stakes. Also, this 
uh, a helpful thing before we enter into the practical application is that uh, viewing pornography requires three elements, three elements at all time. Those three things are desire, time, and availability. If one of those three things uh, are missing, the person will not be able to to view pornography. They could have all the time and availability to pornography in the world, but if they don't have the desire to view pornography, they're not going to do it. They can have the desire and the time to view it, but if it's not accessible to them, if it's not available to them, then they will not be able to do it. So those three things must coexist in order for there to be um, engagement with pornography, in any sin for that matter. So as we look at some of the practical things we can do, some of the nudges and disciplines, we can look at the, the environmental aspects of those three elements, the time and the availability. So number one, the first nudge concerns our accessibility. Limit your accessibility to porn. Porn is more available than ever, and this is why I think addiction is more prevalent than ever. So in order to assist us in staying free from pornography, we need to limit our accessibility to it. One practical thing we can do is install an accountability software on your computer or phone. Uh, there's one that I use with a friend of mine called Covenant Eyes. It basically dings and tracks all the searches and websites that you go to. Um, there's also the Circle which is uh, made available, uh, I think Disney actually bought out the company that makes it. There's a few families in our church that use that. And basically it's a home network monitoring device that can control um, usage as well as screen time and what sites they can and cannot go to. Um, it's more of a fully integrative uh, system. While well, Covenant Eyes is just a software the circle is more of a hardware. Maybe I'm not saying that right, but there are tools and resources available that help limit our access and availability to pornography. And these things about limiting access, it's just helping us, uh, it helps the decision to not look at por pornography. It helps it be easier. And again, if these measures still do not work, then a serious strategy may require that we totally get rid of technolo technological devices that we use to access this pornography. So that's number one, limit your access. Number two, limit your time alone and in increase your time spent with others. Um, boredom and curio curiosity are major causes of browsing pornography. Boredom and curiosity, especially for the inquisitive, pubescent teenager, big blocks of alone time with unprotected access to the internet will often lead to, to viewing pornography. So when teenagers are alone and bored, encourage them to go hang out with friends as opposed to scrolling through social media on the phone. Still, there will be times when you're alone and the temptation to look at pornography will be much easier. This is particularly important for um, before sleep. You know, as a parent, one of my primary responsibilities is to protect my children. When I released a survey, survey to a bunch of parents in our student ministry, when I asked them what one of the biggest concerns were for them and uh, their student having access to the internet and their digital devices, the number one concern was protection. Protection. So for me, as a parent as well, um, I know that protection is critical to me 
being a wise parent for, for my kid. And for students, part of that protection today um, should be in this area of before bedtime. I, I like to think about it this way. To leave a child in a room alone with unprotected access to the internet is the equivalent of leaving stacks of pornographic magazines in the corner of the bedroom, right? Knowing that this time before sleep is a time when we are especially vulnerable to get caught up looking at pornography means that we need to take extra measures to ensure that we do not fall into this, this trap. So remove those points of access from the student at times when they'll be most vulnerable. And I think one of those key areas is right before sleep. Um, you may think that your student's doing well and fine in this area, and maybe they are. There are ways that you can address this without having to totally revoke that, that access. But um, this may be a critical thing that needs to change in order for uh, your student's struggle with sexual sin to change. Uh, third nudge is probably the biggest and most important. It's see people as image bearers of God and not objects to exploit. One of the strongest ways to combat viewing pornography is to continually humanize the person on the other end of the screen. That is a real person who severe, who's in a severely broken situation in spiritual bondage to sin and possibly physical bondage to sex trade and drugs. That's a real person on the, on the other end of that screen who is made in the image of God, designed to glorify God and worship Him. By objectifying that person, we are not leading them to be who they were made to be. Rather, we're encouraging them and the world to find their value in their objectification. So if we really see people as the image bearers of God, we will find it more and more difficult to exploit them as objects for our own pleasure. That's the biggest thing I would seek for our students to employ as they fight sexual sin. Uh, very quickly, I've got three disciplines that I added onto this. When, and uh, they're all centered on when, when you do have the desire to look at porn. When, when that desire comes up, there's three things you should do. Um, number one, repent immediately. Repent, repent immediately. Turn in the other direction. When we sense the urge, turn away. Don't scroll to the next page. Don't filter through any more search results. Don't follow the other link. When we're tempted, we must immediately turn from that sin. Number two, remember the word of God. We, we see that temptation of Eve in the garden. The serpent attacked what God has spoken. When, when Jesus combated Satan in the wilderness, it was with the word of God. So the word of God is profitable for reproving, correcting, teaching, and ultimately equipping us for good works. Therefore, when we encounter temptation, the word of God is a great help to us. So remember the word of God, the story of scripture that's centered on Jesus, who he's called us to be as his image bearers, where he's refashioning us in the image of Jesus moment by moment and day by day so that we're equipped to be agents of renewal for the glory of God. It's remembering that we are called into his story. By remembering that, we are best equipped to battle temptation. Third thing, when, when you have the desire to look at porn, reach out for help. Of the several people I know that have struggled with pornography and had victory over this struggle, not one of them has accomplished it alone. They were able to overcome it by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through other people in their life to hold them accountable, correct them, and encourage them. 
The best news about the struggle of the Christian life is that we're not alone. God has saved us into a community of believers so that we can be encouraged, edified, and challenged by one another. So when the temptation to view pornography is pressing in, reach out to your brothers or sisters in Christ. That is it for this session. Uh, This is a difficult subject. You know, I'd really encourage you, if you're a parent listening, to have a conversation with your student around this topic. This upcoming Sunday, we'll be having discussion groups around these issues. And, um, you know, it's just, it's so beneficial when a parent can have that open communication with their son or daughter. um, Because they will be going through this issue sooner or later. They will have to confront this issue sooner or later. And if they're not confronting it, they're going to have to um, work with a friend or a loved one who's struggling in the area of sexual sin. So have those conversations. I hope this this podcast can be a resource for you to, to have a better conversation around that topic.